welcome to the History Shows Us podcast. I'm your host, Letty, a historian with a passion to speak truth and teach about history, racial justice, and more, making the critical connections between the past and present. Seeing the bigger picture is so necessary in our society today. Let's dive in. A couple of months ago, I had the pleasure of having this honest and much-needed conversation with Fred Joseph, the author of the book, The Black Friend on Being a Better White Person, which, by the way, is a New York Times bestseller. If you don't know who Fred Joseph is, he is a writer, he is an award-winning activist, philanthropist, and marketing professional. He was named to the 2019 Forbes 30 Under 30 list is the recipient of the Bob Clampett Humanitarian Award given by Comic-Con International San Diego and was selected for the 2018 Route 100, which is an annual list of the most influential black Americans. Y'all, I started following Fred on Instagram a couple of years ago. His voice is powerful. He is someone that you need to know. He is someone that you need to be listening to and learning from. And I'm excited for you to hear our conversation. Friend, thank you for being on my podcast with me. I'm super excited about this. Y'all can't see us, but I can see Fred and I'm like super (laughs) confusing right now. (laughs) Because I truly do feel honored that you've taken the time to talk with me. Um, Just press to just chill in this chat because... I feel like we've been following each other long enough on social media where we know what each other's doing. And I'm just always really refreshed whenever I hear you talking about stuff on Instagram. Um, And it's because you're just very real. You're just a very state it like it is, call it out, don't hold back and don't sugarcoat things. Um, And uh, your book, The Black Friend, uh, I haven't read it yet, but uh, First of all, y'all, if you haven't seen this book, you can't miss it because it's hella colorful and I love it. <laughs> I was looking for it at the bookstore and I was like, I just need to find the most colorful book in this section. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, friend, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, no, it's it's an absolute pleasure. And, um, you know, just uh, shout out to Zaria Shin who designed um, the book cover. Uh, you know, it's been um amazingly received and and i i say that like the black women who have been a part of the book process are the reason why it's been so successful like we've been lucky enough to make the new york times bestseller list five times so and the book's been out only for like a month and a half so that's really dope that is awesome no yeah um so yeah why why the title the black friend uh you know for me um i think that anyone who is I don't even think just black people. I think anyone who's non-white um, are kind of used to the tokenizing um, terms such as, you know, uh, the, the black friend or the Indian friend um, or even people who are um, in different, um, you know, other different, different marginalizations like, oh, my gay friend or my trans friend, right? Um, and oftentimes that's used to um, undermine something that somebody needs to be held accountable for, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what I wanted to do was to turn that on his head and say, okay, but what if you had a black friend who's actually like the person who legitimately makes you get it right, right? Like what if your black friend wasn't someone who you're like, hey, can I say the N word? They're like, yeah, bud, go right ahead. As uh-huh. opposed, yeah, as opposed <laughs> to that. What if your black friend was actually just the smartest person on race that you know? Right, right. Yeah, which is something that makes people go like, wait, what? You? I don't think that you know, though. Like, and I, that, <laughs> there's so many things. Like, I have definitely been the black friend, like, mm-hmm. throughout my life. I mean, I'm 32, and throughout my whole life, I can name times and people I was friends with, and I didn't even realize it then, though, right? Like, I didn't realize I was the black friend in middle school and high school, and I've, I realized it in my adult years and it was low key, like, 
embarrassing kind of to myself because I, I was like, why didn't I, why didn't I see this? But it's because of what we're born into. Um, and even as like a black woman, um, being surrounded by yes, black people, yes, brown people, but also a lot of white people <laughs> my, yeah. my, my whole life. And, um, yeah, so, uh, it's, that's something just, just the title of your book, the black friend struck with me, not in a negative way, but yeah. it was more of like a, wow, like this is exactly what needs to be in big bold letters for people to be like, huh, what does this mean? And I'll be like, huh, white people, it's y'all. Like y'all right, do this. Right. <laughs> no, that's real. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to you reading it um, as both, you know, just someone who I respect greatly generally, but also as, you know, someone who does a ton of um, work in the education space as an educator and, um, mm -hmm. you know, and also just someone who, like you just said, has been in these predicaments because I think that people don't realize, like someone was like, well, this isn't every black person's experience. I'm like, no, but we are uh, only 13% of this country. Um, and therefore, I'm sure that being the black person in a white space is a lot of people's, um, you know, experience. Yes, exactly. Right. And it's like, sure, we can sit here, right here, here we are talking. And we probably don't have the exact same experiences. No, but we have a collective experience. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. And that's right what I feel like America misses because it's like we, I guarantee you right now, like if I were to tell you, oh yeah, I remember the day that I was called this. I remember the day that I was mm -hmm. called that. You could probably also, I mean, I might, might be wrong, but you could probably also say, oh yeah, I like remember that. I like remember the day or I remember around the time because once again, I feel like America often wants to isolate things, not just with history, but with people, right? And just saying like, oh, well, that just happened to, to that one person or that was just that bad black person. It's like, no, no. And then we get into a whole conversation about, okay, what's a bad black person, right? Like there are so many things mm -hmm. that I just roll my eyes at. Ugh. Yeah, and, and I, I, you know, it's funny because I actually discussed some of that in the book. A lot of people like to do things, um, like make things personal situations. Like, oh, well, you know, um, uh, how often do you have an Ahmaud Arbery or how often do you have a Breonna Taylor, so on and so forth. And I'm like, often enough that this is a systemic issue, right? Um, this isn't this isn't the outlier. This is not a one-off thing. And I think that that same thing. Um, goes for experiences, uh, you know, that are that are microaggressions or or a bit more um, or less uh, life or death in their nature, right? Like even something as simple as like touching hair, which I discussed in the book, um, mm -hmm. that is that's not oh this happens occasionally, but not really. If that was the case, then we wouldn't all have a collective um, trauma. <laughs> I'm just laughing because yeah, yeah. <laughs> because what what you just said is spot on and people want to take those things right and they want to place them outside of racism and mm -hmm. i'm like no those are what you just did is racist right mm -hmm. and i actually just did a workshop um last month and i was going over my like microaggressions and people are like i just don't i just don't think i don't think that that's microaggression um and i'm just like but it but what you're doing right now, whenever I'm telling you something as a black mm -hmm. person that I experienced and you're telling me, I don't think so. Like, then you're not here to learn. You're not here to listen. You're not learning. Um, you are being a problematic white person that's oozing with toxic whiteness. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's funny because I had the same experience. Once again, talking about collective experiences um, when it comes mm -hmm. to trauma and, and whiteness. So... I'm not going to name any names, but, um, you know, they're like, well, actually I will. Cause I don't care. Um, so, <laughs> um, so, so the people who run, um, this page on uh, Instagram, we hate Donald Trump. They're actually pretty cool. Like this, these two, um, you know, white people who run, um, this page, um, they're, they're two dope people and they're trying to get it. They're trying to learn. And sometimes mm -hmm. they'll like ask me to consult on like, some content, whatever. And also ask these white women as well to consult on content at mm -hmm. times. The two mm -hmm. white women that they ask to consult on content, on content rather, 
have done some of those problematic and said some of those problematic things. Um, and they're constantly displaying fragility when I'm like, hey, um, you know, if, if they're like, hey, okay, well, like this Harriet Tubman thing is a really cool thing. I'm like, well, actually, it's not that great because boom, boom, boom. They're like, um, well, you don't really know because, you know, and I'm like, listen, <laughs> uh, listen, you are, and, and that's, a, and I think that's another issue just in general. I, I touch on in the book is just white women in general using, um, using their marginalization to try to undercut, um, you know, p- other people, um, especially black people. Uh, but, t- but to the point, um, you know, I'm told that on a regular basis in proximity to people who claim they, they want to learn, you know, when I do, when I go- get to teaching, they lean more into fragility and trying to tell me, I don't know what I'm talking about as if this isn't, forget my lived experience. I am well educated in mm-hmm. this space. Like, I mean, like, well educated um right. you know so yeah yeah no i <laughs> that's um you brought up the whole harriet tubman thing and the number of people who were in my dms like oh well i just i just think that it's a good gesture i'm like can y'all stop with that like stop stop with the gestures stop with all of that but back to like what like you were saying about white women that is historically right like what we've always seen and it's what it just plays out in so many so many different ways and for people to say to you right like you don't know what you're talking about it's exactly Fred like what you just said it's not even just about your lived experiences it's the fact that you are well educated on this right like this is something I run into often whenever it comes to like race and racism and I'm like First of all, I'm an entire whole black woman, right? So there's my lived experiences. I have parents who have lived literally through the Jim Crow era, right? And um, I've I'm I'm in six figure debt for what I'm doing right now. So what you're not going to do is tell me (laughs) what I don't know, right? Like I know what I'm talking about. I do not know everything, but I damn sure know what I do know, and it's a lot. And so that's with even with like what you were just saying, right? You have an entire book. You're an author um, of this book and actually some upcoming ones too, um, which is super exciting. But like the the caucasity, I guess that's what I call it. <laughs> yeah. like it's, it's so real, right? And it's just so seeped into the foundations of this country and is why whenever people and I don't know if you um no I'm saying I don't know you I'm sure that you did experience this after Biden was um elected like uh, and I know and, and the reason I'm saying that I've known you did is because I was like seeing your posts and your comments and yeah. stuff and the number of people right who think that once this white savior-esque man right is in power then who's not um, someone who is uh, inciting a blatant racist insurrection, then everything's fine, right? Then it's, yep. then it's back to that mindset, though, of it's the same mindset of the black friend, of the I, oh, but I'm a good white person. Oh, but see, I, I didn't vote for them. I, I'm not out there with them. I'm in here condemning them. I'm not a bad white person. And yeah. I just saw that people. <laughs> no, no, I mean you you hit the nail on the head so many times just now. And I, and I think it's all rooted in the fact that people want binaries because binaries help them feel safe, right? So it's like, oh, mm-hmm. the binary um for them is Biden good, Trump bad, and then it blows their mind when they have to learn that racism and white supremacy are a spectrum and they both fall on said spectrum in different places, but they both fall on it right then they're like no that can't be because if that is the case then they have to start doing some self-assessment as to what have i then done that makes me a racist if biden's a racist right like you know uh so and and that's the reality of it it's 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 no different than uh heteronormativity it's no different than patriarchy is no different than uh capitalism right and they're all 
inter interwoven and intertwined. Um, and when you come back to all of it, there is still always going to be um, the 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 beginnings um, rooted in white supremacy. And nobody wants to realize that, right? No one wants to realize right. that at all. Um, and it's and you know while on that topic, it's kind of also partially why not just is it's the the major issue lies with um, obviously the the right Republicans um, and then also neoliberals. But there's so much racism in the leftist spaces of white people, like, you know, people who supported Bernie, people who supported Liz Warren, you know, so on and so forth. Um, and, and they just think because, well, I'm white and I want socialism or I, I'm white and I want to cancel student debt. Therefore, I can't do anything problematic. And, and honestly, Letty, like I, and I actually I was supposed to do something in a very leftist space on a leftist network and I'm about to tell them probably tomorrow or later on today, I refuse to do it now because I can't deal with the arrogance of white leftists telling me that they don't need to learn anything, you know? Yes. Speak on that. Like I was over here like shaking my head. Yes. Because you are so right. People think that just because they do not quote unquote identify with the blatant racist, violent, um white supremacists then they're the good ones and i'm like mm -hmm. then you all haven't learned anything then you literally are buying these books buying courses buying all this shit and you're not learning anything then about what it means to be a toxic white person what it means to be racist you haven't learned that right because yeah. it doesn't matter if y'all i don't care if you support student loan forgiveness i don't i do not care about that I don't care, not that I don't care about that because I obviously do, but what I mean <laughs> y'all can care about that and you can still go out here and not say anything and speak up against racism. You can do all of that and not actually actively be working to dismantle this system. Yep. So then what are you really doing, right? Like you want to get a clap for like not being the person who says you should pay back all six figures of like your student loan debt and you should starve. That that doesn't even equate me the same, and it's like you just right. want an applause for doing the minimum, like. Right. And I don't—that's yeah. not even the minimum. It's like below the minimum. <laughs> no, like no, below I mean, the minimum. You are a thousand percent correct, and I think, you know, the honest truth is, and I'm just calling it out. Like I was a I was a Liz surrogate, and then I was a Bernie surrogate um, after she mm -hmm. dropped out. And the reason I had went with Liz is because you know she wasn't just talking. Um, you know, in terms of policy, she was talking in terms of policies and what other equitable measures needed to happen based on white supremacy, right? So it was like, okay, if everyone gets to go to college for free, you will still have the same exact gap that existed when, when you know, prior mm -hmm. because white people will still have a 400 year head start on black people either way. So what are you doing to close said gap? But right. even then, and she was 100% right, but even then, you also have to factor in, and this is the part of whiteness and accountability, Elizabeth Warren was still a Republican during the Reagan administration, right? So, so right. you know, like, right. so, I mean, like, well, let's, let's really, really talk about it. And I think a lot of white people are just not prepared to have those conversations. Do I, I love Elizabeth Warren. I think that she's phenomenal. And also, um, <laughs> some of the things that she did were deeply rooted in racism. Mm-hmm. Yes, and you just, that last part you just said was also like the cherry on top because you can speak positively about some things with people, right? And also criticize mm -hmm. them. And somewhere, right? People think that you can't do that, right? It's, it's, yep. it's like you have to be all for everything the person has done. I'm like, that's, that's not true. Because I too, Fred, was all about Liz Warren. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Whenever she was like, being being extremely vocal about black maternal health and yep. what to do to like combat this huge racist issue right like i was i was actually very shocked by that i'm not even gonna mm -hmm. lie <laughs> because it's something right that's not talked about enough that's not even honed in on enough and so whenever she even mentioned that and like she she did several times i was like oh lizzie you are out here <laughs> Like, right, like ruffle feathers. And, but I was glad that she did. But to your point, 
what you said about Liz and like the whole Reagan administration. Yeah. Right. Like people want to criticize like Reagan and all this. I'm like, yeah, but you all can't look at just one part of that. You, right. you can't look at history with just the part that you want to. But as we know, especially whenever it comes to white America, that happens often. And I'm not even going to lie. It ain't just even white America. It's all of America. Um, like yeah. so many people to look at what they want to look at. I mean, if you want to talk about it, let's talk about it then. Because, you know, I, I, I said this the other day to somebody. I, I think that the, the greatest covert operatives of white supremacy are oftentimes black people, right? Because of our conditioning in white supremacy. Um, most of the people who I fight with um, online, most of the people I argue with in my own family, um, you know, about things that are fundamentally um, rooted in the liberation of black folks is me arguing with black folks about them, right? Like, people yeah. didn't like me, um, for instance, like, I, I don't have an issue with Kamala, but people didn't like me because I didn't decide to step out and be a surrogate for Kamala because Kamala wasn't doing more for black people than the white people were, were trying to do that, and that's just the God's honest truth, right? Like, I am for the liberation of black people by any means necessary, and if that's the case, then you go the direction of the best means, and just because somebody... Um, is from your community doesn't mean that they're the best means. It also doesn't mean that they're not the worst. Um, they're not harmful to your community, right? Um, we see that on a regular basis. Um, you know, black people are dynamic in the same way that white women um, vote against their best interest as women in, in in support of white supremacy. Black people oftentimes um, work against our best interest in support of our conditioning within white supremacy. Yes. Oh my. You okay? Yes, I have been saying this as well, Fred. I'm so glad, like, I'm going to have to pull that out and, like, quote it because <laughs> you just hit the nail on the head with that. And that's something, right, that I don't even think enough Black people talk about, right? Because it, it becomes a thing of, oh, but we just have to focus on not our community. We've, we've got to focus. And, and that's, like, a whole thing in itself for me. But at the same time, I, right now, can also tell you that I, too, have had to, like, argue with Black people who I've known for years, who know me. I mean, even, like, where I live here in Wilmington, North, North Carolina, you would think that where the only successful coup happened in this big Black community is that people would actually want to not be clicky and not want to uphold white supremacy. And, uh-uh. That is not how that works. <laughs> and I hope people are like listening to this that I live here because it's the truth though. And it's so frustrating because whenever I tell people this, usually they're like, oh, but the black community, like we've just got to come together and we just have to overlook those things, right? And I think that that's the big thing that often happens is, well, well, we have to overlook the fact that this other person is upholding a harmful white supremacist idea. And mm -hmm. I'm like, I can't overlook that. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to overlook that. Because <laughs> um, then that's actually also oftentimes, especially when it comes to Black men, it's rooted in, like, misogyny and all these other things, right? And it just, yep. and I'm not even on here trying to bash the Black community, like, by any means, but this is a conversation, right, that people would think that that's what we're doing, and that's not what I'm doing. Um, it's but just it's, more it's of... It's an important conversation. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's honestly... Yeah, it's, it's, it's just not talked about enough. I, I think, and this is a real thing, um, one, talking about black men for a second, I am a black man, I'm a, I'm a cisgender, heterosexual black man, and so this is for those, obviously, because you can't see me, and if you don't follow me, you wouldn't know that. Um, but in, in relation to black men, you know, we are conditioned in patriarchy, therefore we are conditioned in misogyny, we are conditioned um, in toxic masculinity, so on and so forth. Now, you know, we can't then say, like, how are you supposed to, how are you supposed to liberate our community um, by killing our own, right? So I'm going to be critical, right? I'm not going to, what do you expect me to do? Like, like if, like, like, you know, going back to the example of Kamala, if Kamala does the right things for the black community, that's wonderful. And if she does not, then she needs to be criticized and then held accountable for that. Uh, the same right. way black men, if you were out here doing your, doing your duty and, and, and doing the right things for the black community, great. But if you were... Um, homophobic, if you are transphobic, I mean, I think I read it, I think the statistic is that most black trans women are killed by black men, right? Um, so so that's that's the reality of that. 
And then, you know, also, you know, we get in this moment and this is not going to fare well with some. It might not even fare well with you, but I'm going to say what I have to say if and you cut me off <laughs> if you need to. Um, but, you know, we're in this moment that I think we're tokenizing um, black women by doing, you know, listening to black women as opposed to saying, you know, we need to listen to black women on how to get it right when the black woman's getting right. Because what I've seen is I've seen things like homophobia perpetuated by certain black women. Then the black women defending themselves be like, well, I'm a black woman, so I can say whatever I want. I'm like, well, that's not the way that works exactly, right? Like, you know, we need to support, uplift, and cherish black women. And also doing that means accountability, right? Because a lot of toxic masculinity manifests in some of the actions and the conditioning that black women have as well, right? No, I actually, yeah, that does not strike me in the wrong way. I would be honest with you on here and tell you that it did if it did. But it honestly didn't because um, since being, uh, really since last summer, whenever my social media sphere grew exponentially and all these things were going on and I was in these circles, and I say circles as in like just people who are other anti-racism educators but my thing is I've always been a person who's the historian in it right and so mm-hmm. I cannot tell you the number of times I've gotten frustrated Fred seeing exactly what you're talking about and, and I mean like seeing it reading it and people defend it and they say oh but that's a black woman that said it or oh well she but that's not an excuse for homophobic right. speech that's not as that's right. that's not an excuse for that stuff right and so um it is being critical right and like what you just said and what i'm saying people who are listening is probably striking a nerve with some people um and i don't give a shit (laughs) because (laughs) this is my podcast but also because it's the truth and somewhere along the way somehow there's been this this air of well we can do whatever we want and say whatever we want because we're black women And I'm going to keep that in this podcast because I know some black women and men um, who are toxic and problematic. Well, I wouldn't take the word toxic out. Problematic. Um, Mm -hmm. For the reasons that that you just said. And uh, it frustrates me, right? Whenever we choose, and I can't speak for all black people, but um whenever many people choose to just look past that stuff right Mm -hmm. um and (laughs) but then to go and treat black women like megan the stallion whether they treated her after she was shot by a black man right (laughs) right right because that's and that's exact and that's a really good conversation right there that's a good example because you know i to be quite frank with you i think a lot of like people don't know this about me I don't involve myself in like I, I involve myself in things that really matter. Like um and, and you'll never really see me using my social media for trivial things because I save the trivial things for my own personal life, right? I'm here mm-hmm. to do a job realistically. Like I think with great power comes great responsibility. And when you get to the the twenty thousand, thirty thousand, hundred thousand, two hundred thousand followers and up is when you really mm-hmm. start having to think about who am I and what am I perpetuating to the world for, you know, this small little village of people, right? Um so, but, but I do see certain things in Megan Thee Stallion that 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 situation in which um what's what's this boy's name um um Tory Tory I don't even know how to say his last Tory Lanez Tory Lanez Tory yeah. Lanez right Tory Lanez that situation with him I watched as black men and black women still supported him right mm-hmm. I watched as mm-hmm. black women shamed her and victim blamed her and then you know so in those instances we have to know and this and this is important i just had a conversation about this recently we have to be able to police our own people and this is important for a lot of white people who are listening it's not about you criticizing us we can handle that but we have to criticize ourselves we owe it to ourselves to do just that yes yes um and (laughs) Actually, yeah, I don't, I also don't really involve myself in things that are trivial on my social media as far as definitely not like celebrity stuff. And I don't get mm-hmm. into all that. Um, but I, I do get into the things like this uh, because of the conversation that I saw happening pertaining to Megan Thee Stallion, because in the same breath, people are like condemning her and trying to blame her, right? They're also wanting to say black women are superheroes and black women are saving America, (laughs) 
right? So I'm like, so how you literally though are tearing are tearing us down, and so it's mm-hmm. what do you do if 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 Megan the Stallion was a Stacey Abrams, right? Like what what would that? And I don't I don't want that to sound weird. What I mean is, what would the response be if that happened to Stacey Abrams or to another? big name black woman who you all have deemed as superhero granted i love stacy i love stacy abrams, abrams mm-hmm. so that's just that's right but what makes her different from megan the stallion right like what right why why and this is a conversation that has happened before any of us were born i or before me and you were born um it's a mm-hmm. conversation that has been happening throughout history in the black community and it definitely like you could really see this stuff happening during like the Harlem Renaissance you you could see it happening with during like the great like the great migration you you saw it happening it was very blatant during the civil rights movement like there are so many conversations that were happening that people don't know were happening um that were that I'm seeing repeating themselves and that's why whenever we have conversations about whiteness, right, and we have conversations about patriarchy, and we have conversations about toxic white womanhood, I'm like, okay, I want y'all to like hear what you're saying, because mm-hmm. if we're going to talk about white supremacy, we also have to acknowledge the fact that white supremacy is upheld in this country right also by some black people and that's hard for people to hear yeah. <laughs> but it's true <laughs> and, and you're and you're 100 right it's the conversation like if we have in if we really talk in the real talk it happens every time there's a major movement going on also right so you know you you mentioned certain periods of time and i'm thinking of people right you look at uh wb du bois versus booker t washington right you look at uh Right, as as one as one good example that reflects Ooh, yeah. this time, it's it's no different than right now. And I'm not saying Booker T is this person I'm about to name in a second because he was not that. But it's the same thing as all of us versus like Candace Owens as an example, right? Because at the end as of the well, day, right. yeah, exactly. Um, just as different ideologies. Um, I mean, like she is off the deep end. That's a whole different, you know. But mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. but nonetheless, she is still a black person and specifically a black woman with her own ideologies and her own message that she's given out to the people. Now that message not only undermines, it directly counteracts every single message you and I are putting out, right? Um, and now that's an example of it's like, okay, she is blatantly upholding white supremacy. So then what do you do about that? Because I've seen her post before, oh, well, I'm black and therefore you can't not support me if i'm black you say support all black people so we have to have nuanced conversations about these issues exactly exactly and it's and actually just uh my my mind just went a thousand miles an hour it seemed like but i just now circled back because it's people like her people be like oh but i do have a black friend and not that she's Mm -hmm. the only type of black friend like what i mean is Whenever I feel like, and this is me speaking from my own experiences, whenever I've seen, right, like Black people upholding white supremacy, it's Mm -hmm. so much easier for white people to say, oh, but see, look, but look at what that Black person is doing. Oh, see, but they don't, they don't have a problem with it. Oh, but, but she doesn't seem to have an issue with this, right? And so it's like, right, so what, what happens in that situation, right? Like, what are... Mm-hmm. And that's why what, what you just said, having these nuanced conversations, it is so necessary because that's exactly what we're also trying to fight. That's that's what we're also out here battling against because I've definitely had to DM people back who were black people who would jump in with some nonsense. And I'm like, no, 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 Mm-mm, no. And like, they weren't like Candace Owens level, but they were problematic, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> it it happens on a regular basis like my battle and part of um you know the reason for writing my second book is frankly black men right and like so a lot of people think that you know let's use like you know toxic masculinity misogyny uh all the aspects of the patriarchy you know a lot of people think that it's supposed to be uh you know 
or at least how some perceive it, you know, women versus these issues. And I'm like, you know, if you really try and be about it, about it, we need to get to the bottom of these issues within our community as men, right? Because mm-hmm. these issues aren't, it's not, they're not just obstacles and, and destructive forces in the lives of women. They're destructive forces and obstacles in our lives, right? Like, why is it that, um, you know, Lil Wayne is making fun of the fact that he was molested at 12 years old by his babysitter, right? And how did that end up manifesting in him using his power to amplify and um, talk to um, generations of Black men in their treatment of women from his one specific incident, right? Like, why are yeah. we not talking about this, right? Um, yeah. but, and and again, so that's that's kind of the work that I'm focused on going forward also is like, you know, in the Black community, how do we cultivate and curate healing and learning? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, because that, I feel like that was the root as well of um, Black education within the Black community post-enslavement, right? Like, I, mm. I feel like those were things that were really valued because they're things that uh, Black people had to hold on to during slavery, right? And so mm-hmm. somewhere along the line, that became, um, that just was disconnected. And I actually honestly can say from what I've read and what I've studied, I, I could argue it's because, right, of the pervasive racism and white supremacy yes, in this country, which affected the Black family and all these things, yes, but also... I recently have thought like what what changed right like when did when did it go from hey we're going to have community and we're going to all like have these homes together and have this cohesive family unit to what you were just talking about right um mm-hmm. that's such a good point that's I'm, I'm glad that you, you brought that up uh yeah, I mean once again you're, you're, you're so much. go ahead what you say? Oh no! Yeah. I was just saying, history just shows so much, but it's yeah. only yep. if you're looking for it. <laughs> well, that's one of the reasons why I've I've enjoyed following you is because you are such a historian, and I think it's important because none of this is new. I mean, like they always say, history repeats itself. But I think specifically with the black community, um, mm-hmm. it repeats itself, um, and and a lot of the things that we're facing. I, I fear that we're doomed to to repeat them generationally, um, and I don't and I don't want that. So I think we need to always be looking forward and backward at the same exact time, um, which is something that you actively do because, um, you know. And I, I think also looking to the past to see what we should do in the future, right? Like you know, because a lot right. of these things are not rooted in in our culture historically, right? As 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 Black people, as people from you know, uh, uh, you know, as at least if you're African American, you know, West Africa more times than not in that instance, they're not rooted in our culture, right? You can you can study that, like you know, patriarchy is not rooted in our culture. Obviously, white supremacy is not rooted in our culture. Homophobia, yeah. transphobia, these things are not rooted in our culture. These are um, the ideas of of the enslavers, the ideas of the colonizer. Um, you know, so so oftentimes when I tell people I'm about to do this work, they're like, oh, well, I thought you was doing that work. I'm like, that work is this work, you know? Yes, exactly. <laughs> right. It's all together. But yes, you, that was a whole, we could talk about that for like another hour, just about what <laughs> you were saying, how like these things are not rooted in our culture, right? Like that's, that's not what it is. I think that's such a good point to make um, right now while we're talking during like Black History Month. That's such a good point to make because it's exactly why Black History Month is Black History Year. Like we we mm-hmm. talk about this stuff all year long because of the conversation that like we're having right now. Like this stuff is not new. And also I want to say thank you for what you just said about what I do on social media because it really is my passion, but it's also because I'm like, what this is missing, right? Like this what I'm trying to say is not being said how I'm saying it. And mm-hmm. as a right someone who's learned how to connect the dots that are within the dots within the dots it's Mm -hmm. it's it's honestly it energizes me a lot (laughs) it's it's heavy a lot of the time too but I have the strength to do this um but it's also why I enjoy following you is because you take the history right and you 
take it in a way for even me to look at current issues in a different way. Like I, I feel like since following you and a few other people, even how I understood the political campaigns and Trump and all these things, I was like, oh, I didn't think about it like that. Or, oh, I didn't think about it from that perspective. And I can appreciate that um, so, so, so much because it doesn't happen often with me on Instagram, in my life. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not someone who just uh, decides to follow any and everyone, right? Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, you had mentioned your book or another book. Um, do you mind uh, speaking on the two books that are coming up or would you rather withhold that? No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to. Uh, so the first, the first book, my, my next book comes out actually, um, knock on wood, I get it done, uh, next Black History Month, uh, and it's called Patriarchy Blues. And Patriarchy Blues is my first adult nonfiction, and that's going to be with Harper Collins. And it's, it's, it's basically that last part of the conversation I was just having. It's ruminations on patriarchy, toxic masculinity, um, and all the things that come along with that. Um, but instead of just being like, okay, well, here's the history of it, the second third, I'm like, you know, that, that, that conversation about molestation, what is the through line from, you know, how we treat the molestation and hypersexualization of young black boys mm. into how black men destroy the lives oftentimes of black women? Like, what is the connection mm. there, right? And talking about those things in this book. So, you know, it's going to be hopefully cathartic. It's, you know, healing and, and enlightening. And, you know, ho- hopefully that's that's the goal. But these are things I've been thinking about for a long time. So I'm happy to get them um, on paper. Uh, and then the second book I'm actually writing with my fiance, as a matter of fact. Um, so that is um, a direct follow-up to The Black Friend. It's called Better Than We Found It. Um, basically talking about, like, the intersectionality of all of the issues um, plaguing our world and helping young people understand them. So, you know, that focuses on environmental justice, um, health reform, gun control, and all these really big ideas and synthesizing them and making them accessible so that not, not just young people, primarily young people, but just people in general. Like if you're like, hey, I don't really get why college should be free. Well, here you go, and I'm talking to some of the leading experts in this space on it, right? So it's going to be this manifesto of progressive progressivism. Wow, that sounds amazing, and yeah, that's first of all, you and your fiance writing a book together is dope. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I love the title "Patriarchy Blues." Uh, I immediately just thought of this, uh, just another super colorful cover with. A saxophone. I don't know why that's the first like mm. image that, that like came to mind, but um, yeah, I'm super excited about that. And you mentioned hyper, like you you mentioned so much about masculinity, right? And it made me think of Eldridge Cleaver, who was the mm. minister of information for the Black Panther Party, right? Algeria. Like, yeah, like immediately just came to mind because in in his book Soul on Ice. Uh, he talks about, and this for people um, who are listening, I'm not going to talk about uh, sexual assault. So if you don't want to listen to this part, I understand. Uh, but he talks about how he would sexually assault black women mm-hmm. um, and rape black women. And he practiced on white women. Um, and it led me to going into this rabbit hole of hyper masculinity in the black panther party um mm-hmm. not that, right like not that and i don't want people to think that the black panther party were by any means um sexual assaulters because that's the furthest thing from the truth what i mean though is eldridge cleaver's early life and he definitely talks about this like the early years of his life pre the panthers like pre-prison um but i i thought about that fred because that's another thing that we see in history. Um, we see so many black men in history who uh, did not deal with their 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 traumas, um, physical traumas, mental traumas, uh, dealing with like racism and stuff. And so, yeah, I I'm going off on a tangent kind of, but it just made me think of 
that. Uh, but I'm excited about both your books. Um, I so appreciate cool. it. My first one and catch up to you eventually. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the world, the world needs more of your voice. So, you know, please, please get that out here because um, I, and I don't say that about a lot of people. I don't like a lot of people, uh, <laughs> but, but you know, the world, the, the world needs more of you for sure. And um and yeah, I mean, like the, the world needs more of us doing this work in general, right? Like this, this vast, exhaustive, <laughs> intersectional um, work, you know, because I think, you know, even something like um, that's probably gonna be the hardest piece of like the, the Patriarchy Blues book is I'm gonna be writing about like, I'm, there's, a, there's, a, there's an essay that I'm, I have in it about Chadwick and Chadwick's passing. Because mm. I, I think oftentimes, people don't necessarily fully take the time, at least black people don't take the time and white people don't care often um, about the fact that there are so few publicly cherished black heroes. Mm -hmm. And what does it have, what does it look like for black children to have things like that ripped away and, and, and oftentimes so violently, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. and, and like, what is, what is the systemic impact on, of that on masculinity, right? Like how does, um, a young black man, for instance, you know, or a kid, um, you know, how does that person, uh, not even just feel, but like, again, what is the systemic impact of a, of an eight year old black boy, for example, um, seeing the first black superhero only to have him you know, pass away two years later um, and be left with, you know, if, if he was supposed to be everything for you, then are you left with nothing? Right, right. Oh, God, that's such a good question. That's such a good question, right? And like, what, and like, what does that, like, what does that do to, to mm -hmm. that black child, right? And what, what does it tell about America? Like, what, what does it not say about America, mm -hmm. right? Um, and like, what truth does that tell? Like these, these are all questions that I think about even whenever we read about another black person who's been murdered, right? By a police officer is I, I think, what is this saying to these black children? Like, what are they thinking? Like what truths did they think that are now they're like, wait, so I was lied to? Like what, how is that affecting them? Right. And so people don't think about the fact that that directly affects, right, the future of the same children that they claim they care about. <laughs> like, right. what you don't. <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's also tied together, right? It's like, like how, you know, I think about this often. Um, and I never, and I didn't say anything. And that's probably my own failure for not saying anything. But, you know, I don't know if you, because um, I, I don't know if we were following each other at the time when I did the Black Panther Challenge thing and stuff like that, whatever. Mm -mm. Um, no? Oh, I so I created, oh, all right, so I created this campaign when Black Panther came out to take kids to see Black Panther for free. It ended up being the largest GoFundMe in history. Um, we took uh, hundreds of thousands of Black kids to see Black oh, Panther. Oh, I started following you after that because I do remember that. No, I absolutely yeah. do. Yes, uh-huh, yeah. Cool. But nonetheless, right? So, like, it's like, how do you explain to like a little kid that a, a figure that was supposed to be bigger than life is no longer here because ultimately life is very much unfair to black people, right? Because like, uh, cause that is like, that was, that was systemic. That wasn't just like, Oh, Chadwick passed. Yes. He had cancer, but also systemically, why is it that black men die of that form of cancer more than at, at a rate higher than any other right. group of men, right? Absolutely. So this is just yeah, it's gonna be a lot of conversations, a lot of a lot of pain, a lot of lot of lot of long nights in that book. Um, but you know, all all things that need to be talked about, I think. Yeah, no, definitely. And you made such a good point, right, about how Chadwick Boseman was larger than life percent, like Black Panther was bigger than just a Marvel movie, right? Yeah. Like, even from, and granted, I love Marvel. People probably don't know that about me, but I really yeah. do. But whenever Black Panther came out, it was like, oh, this is, this is for us. 
like people were like decked out right like all of their garb and all this stuff which was amazing and I just remember so many pictures of so many black children who were in I'm I'm like getting chills now because Mm -hmm. it was so beautiful right to have that that person that you could say oh look he is like us and look like he he's my skin tone and he could do all these things and he's he's the good guy right and to have him yeah to have him taken away and I honestly after Chadwick Boseman passed away that hit me hard that night that I read about it but I was like I really hope that his passing is actually something for many black children who love him to say oh look but I too can be someone who can make mm-hmm. that big difference on someone else's life, right? Like, I I hope that they were able to see it and say, oh my gosh, yes, Chabot Mosin passed away, yes. And he passed away from something that was not a bullet by a police yeah. officer, right? Like, I, that's honestly yeah. probably, like, one of the thoughts I had that night. Because <laughs> I yeah, was no, like, I mean, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you're you're so right about that, and you know, there's there's just being black is just so it's so beautiful and it's so hard, right? It's it's you know I, I like I, not to to um steal from Coates, but it really is the beautiful struggle, right? Like yeah. um, who I think Coates actually took that from a Little Brother song, nonetheless. Um, <laughs> but but it, but it really is being black is the beautiful struggle, is because it's like. Like uh, I, I was thinking the other day about like 2020, right? It still feels like we're in 2020, nonetheless. But like I was thinking about the year, and I'm like, how did we make it out? Like, how did Black people get through 2020? Because I mean, like we've had so. I mean, like obviously being in America, we've had we've you know we've been um, treated uh, as property. We've been uh, mm-hmm. you know you know obviously there's just so much that has taken place, but in the more recent modern times, I don't remember a year of unprecedented and constantly paramount issues to combat, right? Like, you know, pandemic. And of course that is uh, unequally impacting black people, police murdering us. Um, you know, the, the election, um, the economic uh, turmoil from the pandemic, um, mm-hmm. you know, even whether, you know, uh, uh, however many celebrities um, who meant so much to us passing, right? It's just like one after another after another, um, you know, I mean, God. I know. Yeah. And what she's saying all like that, it really is like, oh my God, how did we? Because yeah, it was like Kobe and John Lewis and Chadwick. Mm-hmm. And we learned about him on Aubrey, Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and so many others. Right. And just to, yes, we're in a pandemic and it was a lot, right? Like, I don't, I don't even know. I don't know if this is something that you can relate to, but I know for me, last summer was like, wow, oh, okay. Um, I posted some things, which I had been posting, and then all of a sudden I have all these followers, all these white people who are wanting to learn about racism, and at the same time, here I am having to think about the fact that George Floyd could have been my dad who went to the store and just happened to just have a random $20 bill in his hand and someone suspected him of something or a check in his hand. I had to think about that while I'm also trying to think, all right, I just finished my second master's degree and I'm trying to work for myself and I'm trying to do all these things. I'm trying to do my work and I'm trying to live and I'm trying to be married and I'm trying to just survive. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's exhausting. Right. And it's just what, what, like you had said, it's just like, Oh my God. Like that's that's really the feeling. And then also I too would add just this whole thing about how essential workers are so important and all this stuff. And I'm like, y'all do know who the essential workers are, right? Like you do know who the largest percentage of it of 
these essential workers are. And now here we are in February 2021 and you don't even give a shit about them, right? And it's like, so what were you really caring about? And and that's why whenever we look back at 2020, I will say that I will be here being that person who's like, y'all getting the history wrong because I like lived through it, right? But even with the election, that was stressful. That was um, <laughs> like... That was, and then to go into January, right, of this year and seeing the paramount level of white privilege, and I don't even have a word for it, honestly, besides what the, I, to yeah. see what happened at the Capitol, right? Like, but whenever we even speak up about us being killed because we have a pack of Skittles or we have a cell phone or just because we're breathing and walking, then we are, well, you should just be obeying the law. And you that day for me, and I don't, and that day for me watching what was happening at the Capitol, part of me was like, mm-hmm, we told y'all this is going to happen. And then also though, Fred, part of me was like, <laughs> so upset. And I was so upset because I was like, yeah, but last summer, whenever we were marching for our actual fucking lives, they had the National Guard there. Like, it's just. The hypocrisy is constantly. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm having a hard time even, like, finding words right now. And I mean, I know people can't see. It's emotional. It's it's, it's emotional. And, and like, you know, for those who, because, like, obviously we can see each other, you know, I'm, I'm watching you get you know, frustrated just with how impossible the situation oftentimes seems. Um, yeah. You know, like, I, I mean, I'm right there with you. I, I remember, so I, I, I'm immunocompromised. I have multiple sclerosis and most people don't know that, um, mm. you know, and I remember, I remember this one specific day where it just felt like just the intersection of everything at one moment. I was protesting with my fiance. I mean, hard that day i i mean we we walked at least i'm no exaggeration we walked at least 19 miles that day at the very wow. least like around the city we walked all of manhattan yeah you know, it's hot it gets hot in new york city so and people packed to the gills everybody in masks because we're in the middle of the pandemic but we out there we're out there and I'm out there, my fiance's out there, and we, we're putting to the side that I'm immunocompromised because this is bigger than us, right? Being right. black is bigger than the pandemic. So we're out there. And as we are out there, you know, I'm thinking about how earlier that day I had to give one of my family members money to help them survive because the government wasn't doing enough, right? And I'm thinking about that mm-hmm. as I'm protesting. And then the cops are surrounding us for being peaceful. The mm-hmm. cops are harassing us for being peaceful while we're out there. And I'm just thinking about in that moment, I could probably die three ways because of this one moment. Either the cops can take me, the pandemic can take me, um, you know, or or my or my own illness can take me because of the stress that I'm putting my body through in this moment, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is this is being black. And not on and on top of all that. On top of all that, because we all adhere to this system that didn't give me any generational wealth, right? I, 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 I have a very privileged life, but my privilege extends as far as, you know, a few paychecks. And therefore, you know, I can get hemmed up in this thing too and be out in the street at any moment. And right. I'm thinking about all of this, and I'm like, you know, white people don't have to think about none of this. No. Nope. Not a none of it. No. Not Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Um, like I, I felt that, like I honestly, truly, I was just sitting here like my, my heart felt that. And I was visualizing that and you're right, Fred, like that's what white people do not even, they can't even imagine thinking about that. Right. And that's why often, and, and I know you've, you've, you've said this several times on posts and tweets and on lives and things. Um, that's why like, we don't have room time to hear why you're tired. 
of even discussing racism. Like none. I don't have any patience for it. I don't have tolerance for it. I don't have any of that for it. Because uh, y'all have had them long enough. Y'all did this. Y'all created this, right? Like your ancestors were happy and joyful and eating their damn food while bodies hung. That was mm-hmm. y'all that did that, right? And so whenever you're describing to me, Fred, like your all the things that you were thinking that day, right? And even what you had to put, you had to put your physical health to the side. Because what you said, it was bigger than you, right? Like this pandemic, like being black is bigger than this. And that day with you protesting, knowing, all right, I know that I can die today. Like you, you knew that, like going into it, like you knew that. And white people, y'all listening, like this is why whenever you say that, oh, I just don't, I just don't want to make that person just feel uncomfortable, I, I want y'all to think about what Fred just said. Like, I, <laughs> I, I really want you to because what you're saying is so minuscule um, compared to what Fred just said. Uh, and yeah, just thank you so much for saying that um, because that even makes me feel seen. And I'm hoping to other black people who are listening to this that you feel seen in some way, even with this whole conversation, I'm hoping that you do um, with all that we talked about. <laughs> um, because these are the conversations that I live for and is exactly why I was like, Fred and I need to have a conversation and everyone needs to hear it. <laughs> because this is honestly like, but see like, this is why your voice right now, like, and, and, and not even just right now, your voice now and then future and past, like, this is why your voice is so necessary because you are a black cis male that I've seen on social media who is authentic and who is who is vulnerable and who chooses, right, to share things like this, to be like, look, like I'm I I want y'all to get it, right? And I'm and that's so obvious just in reading the intro and the preface and the preface of this book was beautiful um (laughs) um and just reading that though it's like this is why all of y'all need to read the black friend i'm going to read the black friend i've already read the intro and i read the preface um and i've skimmed it a little bit and (laughs) but just just thank you for what you're doing um thank you for your voice thank you for how you use your voice because you don't use it in a way that's just for your glorification that is not who you are um you use it (laughs) the same way like i've i've seen and 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 heard you today um so thank you for existing like honestly thank you for existing as an just as a whole black man in this country where you could have been gone a long time ago um so i'm glad i'm just glad that you're physically here um and i'm glad that you're mentally and emotionally here and yeah I just want to tell you that. <laughs> I appreciate that, Lady. And I think that that's, you know, just an excellent place to, I guess, us to leave the conversation. Um, you know, me taking just a second. You're, you are so right. I just want to take a second. Thank you for being here. You know, and, and thank, and thank divine, whatever a person believes in or supports for us still being here. Because, you know, black people, we are legitimately a miracle. Right, like on a daily basis, our existence in this stifling, oppressive system mm-hmm. is a miracle. So yeah. thank you, Letty, for being a miracle, my friend. Yes, um, and y'all definitely check out the show notes because you'll be able to click all the links for Fred's information. Oh, Fred, before we go, um, mm-hmm. you definitely did mention your books, obviously. And I also forgot to mention at the beginning, um, we have stories. Um, can you speak for just a minute about that? Do you, do you mind? Sorry, I forgot. No, 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 no problem at all. Um, we have stories is my nonprofit organization that I run. And basically what we do is we provide pro bono, um, creative and marketing services, um, to underrepresented, underprivileged, um, marginalized generally uh, creators and businesses that can't afford the services otherwise. Um, so uh, we're actually, funny enough, we're stepping forward into uh, a campaign focus for the next few years of actually raising funds 
um, and and dispersing those funds as I did with rent relief, um, you know, going forward, we're going to make that um, the primary focus because as much as like storytelling is important, um, we've realized that right now um, what people need is money um, for survival. Um, so we're like, my, my, my fiance is actually going to be leading that, um, that effort um, and leading the organization going forward, um, as a matter of fact. So, um, you know, she's a brilliant individual, um, and I'm looking forward to people getting, um, you know, used to her, her name and face being plastered on everything. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for that. And also mentioning your um, fiance, who is beautiful, by the way, I think she's beautiful. Oh my gosh. Um, your dog, Stokely. Um, <laughs> Stokely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, did you name him after Stokely Carmichael? Portia named him after Stokely Carmichael, yeah. Gotcha. gotcha. Okay, yep. gotcha. Well, on that note, thank you so much, Fred, for being here. Thank you for having me, Letty. I hope you enjoyed listening to this conversation as much as I love chatting with Fred. And like I said in the episode, The Black Friend is a must-read, so go pick up a copy if you haven't already. And as always, until next time.